Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of She's in Tech, hosted by This Dot. My name is Lindsay Browning, and I'm a senior software engineer at This Dot. Um, joining me today, I have Daisy Nolan. Hey, Daisy. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm Daisy Nolan. I am a self-taught uh, front-end software engineer. I just transitioned to full stack, so that's becoming a little weird. Me saying I'm a full stack software engineer, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Daisy underscore Nolan. Thank you very much. And um, today we are joined by Dean Denno. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, my name is Dean, and uh, I'm a software engineer at Hierology. You can find me on Twitter at webdevdean. Thank you. That's great. Hey, are you looking to join a team that gets to work on really cool projects, great technology stacks like React, Gatsby, Contentful, AWS, and tons more? Similar things for Vue and Angular. If you're looking to grow in your career, work with an inclusive team that cares about the culture, and be part of something that you can be passionate about, then you should apply to work at this.labs. They focus on giving back to the community and having their developers do things like write blog posts and be on podcasts to help them enrich their careers as well. They're currently looking for engineering managers, senior architects, and senior software developers in React, Vue, and Angular. So if you're interested, send an email to jobs at this.co. So, Dean, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the tech industry? Absolutely. So my background uh, took a little took a little detour. I started out as a print journalist. I studied for five and a half years to become a reporter. That's what I wanted to do my entire life. Wow. And, and once I got there, once I finally almost had that newspaper job, I realized, oh, wow, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I quickly <laughs> turned, uh, changed my direction and became a waitress while I was figuring some stuff out, took some temp jobs and eventually landed my first time, my first coding gig at a small company in Kansas City that did embedded devices for uh, cashless payment systems. So a bit, bit of a weird background, but uh, now I'm here as a senior front end engineer at Hierology and it's been, it's been a wild ride. So funny. I'm a mass communications major too. So my dream job was to go into journalism, wrote for my college paper, went into uh, more public relations. That's what I decided to do. But yeah, that's super cool. I love that we always have people that have those uh, different backgrounds can you tell me like how is your background journalism like have you seen that that actually helps you in your career all the time one of my biggest pain points I think with being a reporter was having to make those cold calls and make those ask those really difficult questions with people that you do not know and that's getting over that fear uh, as a reporter really transitioned to tech because now I'm able to talk to people I don't know uh, at any day of the week and that's really helped me out a lot Mm, that's great. So you've had a lot of experience at many different companies. Um, so just wondering, what, what do you look for when deciding if you want to work with a company? I mostly look to culture. So I'll, okay, I'll get back up. I look for a lot of things. I look for great pay. I look for a great team. And I look for a great product. And I look for a great culture. So with the culture, I look for, do they have proper onboarding? Do they have proper pre-onboarding? Do I know what to expect before I start working there? And then once I start working there, do I have the necessary resources to further my goals? And are those goals set? Are those expectations set? And as well as just generally good people, uh, people who yeah. love to be helpful and be engaging and uh, not 
look down on anyone for anything. We have a no, no I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but we have a no assholes uh, core value <laughs> at Hierology that yes. uh, really took the cake for me. <laughs> that that was what made me decide I need to work there. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that you talk about culture um, because I think I think it's been difficult for a lot of companies over the last couple of years because of COVID and having to kind of transition into different ways of working. But culture is still very important and it's great that, you know, you, you can, it's great that you can find those, those options for yourself. And, and it's great that there's companies out there like Chirology that will ensure that they're working with great people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard with the remote world. And, and how do you get that true human connection and get that that same in-person feel when you're mm. when you're virtual? And it's it's a hard thing to overcome. My team is personally taken to a lot of pairing sessions, whether it be on Zoom or asynchronously or through VS Code Live Share, you know, whatever works best for them at the time and the circumstance. It's just being able to to form that kind of in office stopping by the office and hey I have a yeah. quick question atmosphere I think that's one of the things I really like about this dot as well I, I've only been in this dot for around three months now but one of the things I really enjoy is that everyone is encouraged to be on camera and I know you know not everyone enjoys being on camera 24 7 but it's quite nice to have those meetings where you can still see people's faces and you can still have that conversation and feel like you're in the same room. So that's, that's good. So I definitely have a question going off of like your, you're looking for a good culture fit. So I'm like going through the application process now. And what I do is reach out to different people, different teams at that company before I even start applying or interviewing and like try to meet one-on-one and ask them, oh, can you explain the culture? But I found that sometimes... I mean, I feel like that's a little awkward. Do you have more like questions that lets you know what the culture is without asking, hey, what is, how would you describe the culture? Or is that the best way to do it? I mean, both ways. I also kind of do that method. Before I start a job, I'll usually reach out on LinkedIn and I'll go grab a coffee if we happen to be in the same town or grab a quick Zoom. And I think that face-to-face really lets you know, okay, this is, is, am I going to be working closely with this person? Am I not going to be working closely with this person? Do I feel like I can trust them? Do I feel like what they're saying to me is a pitch or is, are they being honest? It kind of lets you do that in an insight check if you play D&D at all. <laughs> and so that, that works as well. Um, if you're not comfortable going directly to someone, another way you can tell is by looking at their, looking at their website, seeing what they preach as their values and then if you can, taking a look at their actions, if you can kind of, you know, online stalk them a little bit, see if they're mm-hmm. if they're living up to that. And that's there's really no way to do it almost until you're in the thick of it, because it could all just be a giant pitch to you to try to get you on board. And then you get on board and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't expect this. Yeah. So it's, it's a really hard thing to gauge. That, that's some really good advice there. And similarly, how do you usually sort of prepare for these interviews and um, go and kind of past the initial conversations when you approach the interview stage what do you usually do to prepare for them because I know a lot of companies will do different styles of interviews and you may have like the the coding challenge or the take-home exercise how do you usually prepare for those well I'm genuinely against coding challenges Mm. I so if that is presented to me as part of the application process early on I will usually forego it or I will try to negotiate with them early on. Hey, is there a way that you can make this process work for me? Or is this a done deal? And if mm. it's a done deal, then we shake hands and part ways because it doesn't work for me. But if you like the coding process or you're early on in your career where you it just 
almost becomes like you have to do it. What I do to prepare is ask the questions early on. If there is a coding challenge, get as much information as they're going to give me. Ask them, what is this coding challenge going to cover? What's the format of it going to be? Do you know, do you have any other information you can provide for me that would help me be better prepared for this? And I'll take that and start doing my little research, seeing what what they could potentially ask me, doing all of my fundamental, going through the fundamental courses as a buffer, and then try to wing it. That's probably not the best advice, but that's that's what I do. I've landed myself in many coding challenges where I just started crying because I'm so anxious and I just... I don't do coding challenges anymore. No, I think what your advice is amazing. So I hate algorithms and whiteboarding. I feel like being self-taught, I don't know if this is what you agree with, but I didn't learn those algorithms. And I know some people with CS degrees or like more bootcamp experience, they go into those algorithms and they learn them forwards, frontwards and backwards. And I don't. And so I didn't even realize that I could ask the recruiter if there was an alternative until I was interviewing with this company. And on Friday, they asked me to do the algorithm whiteboarding. And I was like, you know what? I'm not comfortable. And I was very honest. And I was like, hey, look, with my my background, I just don't think that that's going to show what I'm capable of. And I just like phrased it tried very professionally and just asked like, hey, is there any way that I could showcase my skills in another way? Or could you let me know what algorithms I should be working on? And they ended up telling me that the algorithm was not the main focus. They want to see my thought process that even if I get the algorithm wrong, as long as I show them my thought process, And like, I ask for help when needed. And like, I'm able to communicate my needs. Like they're like, we'll we'll probably hire you. The algorithm is not important. But I think that's such a great advice, Dean, to to ask for those questions up front and to set boundaries. And it's okay to set those boundaries based on what you you like. If you are one of those that want to do the algorithm, test it or practice way beforehand. Don't try to cram. There's so much. (laughs) And make sure you're not just memorizing. Make sure you actually know what the methods you're using does so you can communicate effectively. But yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Yeah, likewise. Sorry. (laughs) I was going to agree with Jason. And even another option that she already pointed on was, you know, is there another way I can showcase my skills? Am I allowed to submit previous work? And, you know, I maybe have all this other GitHub work that I could just send you a link to. And oftentimes that does, that shows them what they need to see. Exactly. Yeah. Great advice. I can't disagree with anything you said. And maybe a controversial question, but are there any red flags to look out for during an interview? So something that may tell you that the company is not worth working for? Absolutely. The biggest red flag I've ever had during an interview was the senior engineer that I was going to be working very closely with. He told me, or he asked me what my salary would be and when I told him, he said, whoa, that's a lot. Mm. And from that point on in the interview, I, you know, I, I carried on, but I was thinking that's a huge red flag. I don't, if he already thinks I'm being paid too much, then am I? That made me totally insecure and second guess myself. So that was a big red flag. Another big red flag is I like the one part of coding challenges I do like is the, is the ability to pair with someone because that also tells you about company culture really quickly. How mm. are they how are they speaking to you? How are they asking you questions? Are they or are they treating you as if you don't know anything? And 
those are pretty big red flags that I look for. Yeah. For me, I'm very much going to make people's hair curl when I say this. I'm very open about my family planning. My husband and I are trying to conceive and I'm very open up front. I ask what what's parental leave right out of the gate because if they have any kind of and I've had people that they're like, "Yeah, no, you're we don't have uh, parental leave." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm leaving, but I'd rather know before I start all that processes and I'd rather see them they're like, oh, no, we won't do that. Or, or oh, you know, we don't know if we want a parent on the team. Like people say some weird stuff. Then at least I'm not wasting my time or getting it to the company and then seeing it. Another one I've done is accessibility is something really important to me. And I had a, a team tell me that their users are not disabled. So they're not worrying about accessibility. And I, I have a disability. And so I brought that up. But no, I mean, I feel like you have to set those, again, those parameters for you, what's important to you. And then when you're asking those questions, you'll see those red flags. No, I love that you said that, that that's what you kind of look at as pairing because pairing something important to you. I think going back to the salary conversation as well, it's all about, I think, knowing your worth as well, right? Being knocked down for for just a passing comment or something like that can be, it can really affect you as a person. Um, So yeah, that's, that's some great advice there as well. Let, flipping it a little bit now, it'd be interested to know what technologies you're currently working on at Tyrology. What are some of the things you're, you're currently doing there? This is really exciting because uh, the front end team just decided to create a new repository for some of our new features coming out and we get to play around with all of the new tech that we want. So we're currently in the process of, of playing and choosing, which is really fun mm-hmm. and exciting for a team because we have a really balanced team too. So we have an uh, equal amount of associates all the way up to senior engineers. So everyone's getting their hands dirty and starting to, to feel around in the new tech. So we're currently looking at Next.js. That is really exciting. I, I've been using that for a lot of my Greenfield apps for a number of years and seeing what the team comes out with is constantly impressive. Of next live is super exciting. So we were playing around with that. Uh, we're also moving away from kind of a, a the, the quote unquote monolithic Rails app. So we're we what we've done is a bunch of CSS scattered throughout a bunch of different components and features. So we're looking at ways to simplify that and streamline that, and whether that be CSS and JS or mm. post CSS or CSS modules. There's so many options out there that we're really looking into. So it's all very exciting. Mm, sounds exciting. I mean, the, you always get that kind of R&D department within a company and you, you, it always feels like you're just doing the, the development part and you're not doing the research. And so it's nice, I guess, when you get the opportunity to try new things. We all like doing that, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you've got some chromatic experience as well, right? And I, I noticed from your website that you, you're you familiar with accessibility testing. Yes. And and that's something I, I know Daisy mentioned earlier as well. And it's something I'm keen on knowing more about. And I think, you know, I think people neglect it quite a lot. So it's good that there's people out there, you know, encouraging accessibility practices. Are there any tools that you like to use for accessibility testing? Absolutely. Well, you mentioned one, Chromatic is a great accessibility testing tool and Chromatic goes hand in hand with Storybook. So Storybook is definitely an open source project that I promote and love dearly because it's helped me in my workflow. So before I can even dive into a feature on my giant monolithic tech stack, you know, I'd have to start up my server and then start up 
the API and then start up the front end and then maybe run some services in the background. And before you know it, I have 20 tabs open and 20 minutes gone and I'm waiting for my page to load just to get to the component that I need to see for the front end. So Mm -hmm. what Storybook does is allows me to code that component in isolation and really being able to go down to the atomic level helps with components. If you think about accessibility first from the very beginning, it becomes a lot easier for those big, huge, complicated pages to be navigable. Yeah, I've used Storybook myself in the past and I, it's not only useful for development, right? But it's useful for if you're working with BAs, for example, or project managers who want to see visually what the, how the components are, are looking and how, how they fit together. I, I mean, we, we used it in the past as we were developing a components library. I thought it was very useful for that, especially with the, they used to be called knobs, but they've actually changed the name of them in the, in the newer version. I can't the remember controls. what the controls, that's right. Yes, yes. So we always used to have a laugh about that, but um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's a really powerful tool. It is. Ironically, it's not the most accessible tool. So if you log into Storybook and try to navigate around it, it's not the most accessible. So it's something that as an open source community, I hope we all kind of swarm and tackle together uh, because we we have the tools within Storybook to make it better. So we should. Yeah, definitely. But that is, that's definitely a tool. Um, and I always uh, advocate for manual testing. So using that screen reader, using your keyboard, figuring it out. That's what that's what I advocate. I tell my team, have you tested this? Does it sound okay? Can you get to everything you need to get to? <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and it, you know, I, I'm very familiar with working with testers um, whose job was just to test. Um, they were great to work with, but I think as developers, we should still have that attention to detail. We should still, I think personally, it should be a part of our definition of done. It's not done until it's been tested with a keyboard or with a screen reader or, you know, however many tools you you want to test with. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Definitely. Like, especially, and the screen reader matters, I think. I've tried a few extensions that I listen. I'm like, this sounds amazing. Great. And then I realized, well, I have a screen reader on my computer already. Might as well use it. And then I listen to it. I'm like, that's not what that sounds like on the extension. So I highly recommend using like a real screen reader that your users are going to use. One tool that I love, it's, uh, it's an extension and it's called Accessibility Insights for Web. So they give you parameters on like what to test for. So you do all the testing, but they just tell you how to test and what you're looking for. And you determine if it passes or fails and you can make notes and then you can export it. You can create issues right out of the gate with it. They do a few like automated tests, like uh, like color contrast and making sure all of your HTML elements are like semantic or at least the headings, right? You're not having your H6 in front uh, uh, higher up than your H1. I know so many people use those for styling and I'm like, no, do not use your H6 because you want it smaller. But anyways, this is a really great tool. I didn't realize like, you know, testing for landmarks and until I I got into this and I read through all the tests, you can see the tab stops, things like that. So if you're really new at accessibility, don't know like where to test, I highly recommend getting that extension and you'll learn so much right out of the gate. That's an amazing tool. Thank you so much for sharing that. I had no idea that existed. Yeah, I think it goes, accessibility, I feel, goes hand in hand with testing library. I I feel like it really encourages you to think about accessibility. I know you've got experience um, with that as well, Dean. Why do you think testing is so important? 
Well, for my for my type A personality, I I like all the check boxes green for everything. So I think <laughs> testing important for me is personally important. So I have the knowledge that any code that I ship, a works is accessible, and if it's going to have my name on it, then I want all those things to to they matter to me. So um, that's why testing is important to me. I think testing is important in general because you're not going to let those really harmful, awful bugs sneak into production. Yeah. It's, it's getting that confidence as well, right? In, yeah. in that when, when this piece of code comes back to us in two years time and we need to refactor it, we should have that confidence in refactoring and not worry about, you know, what am I going to break here by changing this one line of code? Absolutely. And it serves as living documentation. If the test is written well, it says, hey, this is what I expect this code to do. Great. Now I know where to go find that piece of code that goes and does that thing. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Another extension, sorry, I just have to talk about this one for accessibility is there's one that can turn all of your images off. So you can really see are your are your users going to know what that image is conveying? Should you even have an alt text? Does your alt text make sense? So you can turn off your images, see the alt text. And so you can see what that experience is like for uh, users that are not maybe like visual users and things like that. So uh, another perspective rather than just hearing it, just making sure. Yeah, it's it's an amazing one. I'll put the link in the description too, but it doesn't always work correctly. Sometimes you have to refresh the page to toggle your images off. And then sometimes I forget I turn my images off and I go to like Facebook and I'm like, why aren't my images here? So, but that's user error. So <laughs> is it a specific browser you use with that DC? Oh, I think it's any browser. Like I use it on Brave and Chrome. It's okay. a Chrome extension. So I don't know. I, I just know I can get the Chrome extensions on Brave too. So I'm not sure if it's any browser, but I'll put in the link. Hopefully, I mean, I don't know anything about like Firefox and stuff and what extensions they can use. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. That's, that's good to know, though. Yeah, share the link. That'd be great. Okay. Have you had any mentors in your career, Dean? And how, how do you usually go about seeking out a mentor? Oh, this is this is interesting. So I wouldn't say I've ever really had a mentor. I've had a I've had a really great network. I think I've gotten extremely lucky with networking. And that's, that's definitely my advice to anyone new or trying to switch industries is to put yourself out there even when it's uncomfortable. I remember being in like in 2016, I just got my first job. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I'm often the only person in the office trying to work on this bug and there's nothing on Stack Overflow at that time because it's 2016 and I need people I can reach out to. So I started going to my local JavaScript meetups and meeting some people there, networking, and then I started getting on Twitter and meeting people that way. 
and that kind of what is what excelled is what accelerated me into now what I have is a, a network of mentors. If I have a technical question about something, I have a person I reach out to for that. Mm. If I have a design question, I reach out to another person. Yeah, I think that's important as well too, especially as you become more senior in your career. It's, it's not it's not always about knowing the answer to every question. It's about knowing who to go to. Yes, um, absolutely. Like you say. So yeah, that's, that's that's great advice. I did have something to say and it's completely slipped my mind. Oh no. I I remember. So I was going to um, say, it's. I, I think it's quite difficult for a lot of people early in their careers to to take that first step and network. I mean, I, I'd imagine your, your journalism career really helped to kind of put, give give you that confidence to do it. Do you have any advice for, for, for people who may not have that prior experience to kind of just take the leap and go and start making those connections? Yeah, I, I'm also, what's, what's weird is that I have a juxtaposition. I have no fear in talking to random people, but I'm also an extremely private person. So I haven't been on Twitter for very long. I haven't been, I'm not really online or on social media. So I understand and can totally sympathize with not wanting to put yourself out there, especially if it's your name and your picture. And so advice for that is if you just want to get like dip your toes in, create, create a false identity. You know, you don't have to exist as yourself online. You can exist as anyone. And that can start maybe helping you open up and and start talking to some other people who are new in the industry and start networking that way. And if then if you build that relationship and you feel so comfortable, you can reveal your identity, so to speak. So that's one way. Another way is just to just to brute force it and know that if you don't get likes or views, it's okay because that's how everyone starts. I, I mean, I'm still under, I think, 100 followers on Twitter. Like, none of it matters. That's my advice to everyone is that nothing matters. Just try to be kind, put out some good knowledge, and you'll make some good friends. I definitely agree with that. I mean, when I started out, I used Twitter as a way to kind of like blog about what I was learning. And it wasn't for anybody else. It was for me. And if someone got, I don't know, something positive out of it or, you know, affected them in a positive way, then great. Like that's even, that's just a bonus. Uh, I go back to my old tweets all the time. That's like, oh, I I used that one tech and I can't remember what it was. What was it? Oh, okay. It, you know, it was that. Even though I have the the communications background in writing, I just don't have the the desire to want to write a completely large blog post. So tweets are were perfect for me. Uh, one thing's like, so I love like the identity of like you know being you know someone else to get out of that you know try to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, another good thing is you know maybe making one connection. I highly recommend probably getting a mentor. Uh, Coding Coach is one that I belong to. It's a free, it's open source too. So if you are using it and you're like, I really wish there was this feature, go submit an issue. But uh, really, really great. You can meet amazing people that are going to be in your corner, rooting for you, wanting to see you succeed, and that even might help you get out of that comfort zone too. But making connections, I just, I reach out to people that I admire, people that have like helped me. And I just tell them how great they are. Thank you so much. You know, like, because I want them to know that they're that free content that they made, that they spent all that time, like is helping. And so that's what I use it for as well. But yeah, you ha- I feel like you have to be a little bit more like, I guess, brave and comfortable to do that. But yeah, no, I mean, definitely just make it what, what you can. If you want to post pictures of cats, great. But, you know, you're, you'll be able to find people that 
have that same, I don't know, similarities as you do. I, I think you'd be surprised as well at how how good it makes, maybe not surprised, but it, it does, how good it makes people feel having positive feedback. Because we, we always hear the negatives, but a little bit of positive feedback goes a long way. So, Dean, you, you know, you're clearly passionate about what you do. And I just want to know how you stay motivated. Like what keeps you going every day? My team. I have a really great team. It's it's easy to wake up and go to work every day when you when you're work around great people. So that's number one. Because if that wasn't the case, then ugh, work would be so boring. I want work to be fun. So that's that's what keeps me motivated is making work fun, is getting through all the getting through all the little issues together, accomplishing goals together. Cause it's a really good feeling when you accomplish a goal as a team and everyone had their their hands in the pot you know everyone got mm. to touch the code and it ships well that that keeps me going as well yeah definitely. Yeah, I just sorry I just had to say when Lindsay when you were uh, saying how positive or how passionate Dean is uh, to the viewers y'all cannot see Dean's face but every time Dean talks about code like grinning ear to ear it's pretty it's so fun to watch like I love seeing <laughs> like people are passionate so I'm not sure if you can hear but I just have to explain like you can just see the passion right now <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it is great having that sort of team feeling and, and feeling like, you know, you contributed to something successful. But how do you feel about working alone? Is that something you enjoy doing as well as constantly being part of a, a working team? Absolutely. I I have a, I think the people who know me tend to know that I'm pretty strict on my own processes, even on my own. If I have a side project, I can't just sit down and code. No, I have to okay. set up my pull request templates and set up my tickets and like make it all good for myself before I can go. Uh, so uh, yeah, I totally love I love nerding out and doing all that stuff on my own too. I have a couple of little side projects that I do every now and then, but uh, I also have a strict boundary with myself that I don't code during my free time. So mm. you can catch me painting and chilling with my cats when I am not coding. Nice. I, I do think, you know, in general, we're all a little hard on ourselves sometimes. And I think, you know, I, I think it's in our nature to be perfectionists as developers. Mm -hmm. We we want everything to be perfect. But it's, it's when, when it comes to side projects, sometimes it's OK to it's OK to just start and, and just dive right in because the side projects are there for that reason. They can, they, they'll, they'll evolve over time. They'll, they'll change. They'll, you'll throw things away. You'll, you'll delete things. You'll, it's just good practice, I guess, to become familiar with that process absolutely but, but I can I can totally relate because I'm exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> every every time so I mentor uh, quite a few uh, newbies and some that are like start about to start ready to apply and I tell them all the time like personal projects personal projects like I I really try to really push that to get step out of their comfort zone try new technologies things like that and like the biggest question I get is what should I make do you have advice on like how people or how our listeners can think of ideas. Uh, I try to do like things that I'm I'm missing in my my day to day. But I mean, do you have any advice? Ooh, well, let's see. Something more than the traditional to do app because I always recommend that one for if you're if you just want to try new tech, then maybe don't reinvent the wheel. If you if you are like I'm really comfortable in React, but I want to try this out in Vue then maybe do a to-do app. But if you're really wanting to try out, like, let's say GraphQL, I st always start with the docs. And then uh, my personal style is to go to a YouTube video and watch somebody else do it. 
I always feel like I have more confidence if I can see somebody else has done it successfully. And then I'll try to replicate that. And so then I have that skill and then maybe I apply that to something else. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be an original idea. It can be following along with somebody else on a YouTube video or if there's if there's no articles out there, it's that new, then relying on documentation and, and bugging the creators to help <laughs> you through it. <laughs> Yeah, that's really important. And I, I like what you said about like the documentation. So React's official tutorials, tic-tac-toe, and it's in class-based components, which if y'all are new to React, uh, you probably have not used class-based components. You probably use functional and, and using hooks. But I always recommend people like take something that already exists and make it your own. So maybe you follow that tutorial. What I did was I was like, huh, well, hooks is already around. Let me turn that into hooks. Yeah. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can you can take something, an app that you use every day, and you're like, I really want this. Okay, Twitter. Everyone complains that there's no edit option on Twitter. Recreate it as a personal project. Then you can have it. I mean, I know it's not <laughs> the same, but you can at least, uh, you know, it's, it's just something that you use that you feel like you can make better. And I think that's a, a really great thing to say. And yeah, like you said, reach out to the creators or again, create an open source ticket if it's open source and to get yourself like familiar like uh, with working as on a team as well. Especially in October with Hacktoberfest, right? Absolutely. Get yourself a free t-shirt. <laughs> yes. And I think, sorry, I, I was just thinking I had something to say about the ideas. I think it's also good as well. If, if, you, if you enjoy writing, to put what you've learned in a blog post. I think that often will cement your understanding of the topic as well. Yeah, even if you never publish it, again, if you're a private person, write a blog post for yourself for your little notebook and in years time, you go back to it. I still have notebooks from when I was a junior about Node.js streams and I still reference that stuff because I was so, I was such a good note taker. I like that. I really like that because I'm also, I, I have a, a notebook next to me and I kind of do like a bullet journal approach. I have an index and I have page numbers and I still can't, for the life of me, go online with my notes. I can't use Notion and all that stuff. I just can't get into it. So I'm glad there's someone else out there that uses a notebook like me. Well, I use, <laughs> I have my own repo of all of my engineering notes and it's in folders. So like Ruby on Rails and then JavaScript, but then JavaScript has React and TypeScript. So I've got... So no matter what, what I'm trying to find, if I'm like, oh, the filter method, I kind of forgot what it returns. It's so easy. I just search it. And it's better like it's in my words rather than me going to the documentation and like going, wait, what does that say again? Because documentation can be like very daunting. I have it in my own words, my examples. Yeah. I was like, so I tried the whole writing down. Like I write my notes down. And then I take them over and put them into my my document. But I just can't only have like written down notes because I can't find anything. I'm not organized. You said you have an index, Lindsay. Yeah. That's great. I was yeah. like, I've got notes about this call on this side. And I've got doodles with my name on this side. So my notes are so unorganized. But I, you I, got to find what works for you. Definitely. Exactly. I, I can't recommend it enough, though, because I mean, there's been so many occasions where I've needed to go back through my notes to find some information from a meeting or something like that. And it's always been there, really easy to find and pinpoint. So it, it works very well for me. I just wanted to mention as well, when you're talking about how filter works, I think a really useful exercise I did when 
ES5 was coming out and, you know, reduce, reduce, right, all these different array methods and everyone started using them. And, we, and I was like, whoa, I need to start using these methods. What do they do? So I, I just I just took some time to actually write them from scratch myself and really learn how they work under the hood. And I think sometimes that practice really works well if you're trying to learn something new or something existing, I guess, how something works. Yeah, I'm one of those, if I write it down, so I've got like this weird auditory memory. I hear something and I can pretty much spit it out to you like a parrot. It goes with, like Dean was saying, sales. Same with sales. I don't know, uh, Dean, if this ever happened to you when you're in the middle of a call, cold calling, and you don't know what to say and your manager gets on a headset that's connected to yours and they tell you what to say, but you're, anyways, it's called parroting. And so because of that, I've been able to hear things and like be able to spit it back out. So like auditory, I guess, uh, like, I don't know, like a pick. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Anyway, so what I do with my notes is I write them down on pen and paper. I read it. And then I'm like, okay, I, and I read it out loud so I can hear it. Then I go and I type it from memory into my docs. And that way it's in my own words, whatever. And then if I'm like trying to really understand it again, I read it out loud again. Like it depends on whatever works for you. But that's what I found when preparing for algorithms. Practicing doesn't help me. It's that. So yeah, again, just finding out what works and being able to to practice. And yeah, it still amazes me how different we all are and how we all have different approaches to these things. It's great. I think we're running close to time. So Dean, let's finish off with a general question, which is what advice do you have for women in tech? Let's make it a little bit more specific. What advice do you have for women who want to get into tech? My biggest piece of advice for women who want to get into tech is to network. Network and not not deal with the gender norms that come with it. Being resilient and networking. As you network, you'll see the red flags and you'll learn how to avoid them. That's my biggest piece of advice. Network, network, network. Talk to everyone. Talk to me. You can find me on Twitter. Brilliant. That's great advice. Can't agree more. Daisy, do you have any more questions before we move on to picks? I don't. I do have my advice is, you know, if you're starting out, definitely find a mentor. You know, you can find someone online, go to Coding Coach. If you are looking at videos and you're like, I really like their stuff, message them. The worst that they're going to say is no, or they ghost you. But just reaching out, finding a mentor. I didn't have a mentor when I was starting out. And I felt it was pretty difficult. I mean, my husband's an engineer, but it's not the same. My husband didn't know what it was like being a, a, women, a woman in tech. And so I felt like I struggled and I even questioned a lot. Do I tell engineers what I'm interviewing that my husband's an engineer? Because I felt like they were going to take away from that. So finding somebody that has like similar experiences as you or a similar background, or maybe you don't want somebody with a similar background, but it, I feel like it's good to have someone in your corner that you can talk to uh, when you're having a really low day and somebody that's going to celebrate those wins for you. So that is my advice. Yeah. And, and on a similar note, it's okay to ask questions. I think very early on, you may be a little shy or quiet or, you know, afraid to ask the wrong question. And I've my mentors have always taught me that no question is 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 a bad question. And, and another piece of advice I want to give is days as you're learning, as you start out in your career, it, it does, it, it can become very stressful. Development is hard. It takes patience and takes time, but you know, don't give up. There will be days where you want to bash your head against the machine. <laughs> but th there'll be days when everything works perfectly and, and you're really proud of what you've achieved. So just don't give up. Keep going. And I will say, 
tutorials, when you watch a tutorial and you're like, how do they know that this is going to just do this and work? Y'all, they practice. I've done a tutorial and I probably recorded that thing like 12 times and because it was just, I kept messing up. So just know that what you're seeing, unless it's live, most likely, oh, and even live, they've rehearsed, they have practiced. So don't also like, just don't compare yourself and don't say, I'm never going to get to that point because we all make mistakes. We all, I've spent hours on a bug just a couple of days ago. And I mean, it happens. None of us are perfect. We're still learning. We still have to look at docs. We still have to Google things and stack overflow things. That's a part of the job is being able to be resourceful and find those things. So just don't compare yourself and don't say you'll never be able to do something. So another piece of advice. Yes, I love it. This is very motivational. I know. I'm, yeah, I love this. Great energy we have in here. I wish we could keep going. Unfortunately, we have to move on to picks. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock mountain time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation how do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. So picks for the listeners is where we each share something interesting that we like. It doesn't have to be technology related. We can share absolutely anything we want. So I'll start. And my pick for today is darknetdiaries.com. Um, I'm going to read the, the blurb because it's, it's easier for me to just read what they've got on their site. So this is a podcast about hackers, breaches, shadow government activity, hacktivism, cybercrime, and all the things that dwell on the hidden parts of the network. This is Darknet Diaries. So I, it's essentially a list of podcasts that cover real life stories about hacking and breaches, etc. And whilst they're interesting stories, they teach you a few things about security and stuff. So I've, I personally find um, so far really interesting and, and really worth um, checking out. So that's darknetdiaries.com. 
and I will provide a link to share it out. I'm like stuck between two. So I'm just going to do the the two. They both have to deal with design, but different types of design. So the first one is called Modzi. So my husband and I bought our house a year ago and we moved in and it was fully furnished. It was a couple in their 80s that left all of their furniture. So definitely not our type of style. So my husband and I, we have a lot on our plates and we're like, okay, we can't do interior designing ourselves. So we found this site called Mazi that uh, pairs you with an interior designer. You meet virtually. The, they'll kind of do a rendering of your room uh, with different furniture styles. And then you can purchase all the furniture that they show you like through their site. So they have a lot of different like stores to choose from. So that's the first one. The other one is called 99 Designs. And I use them for logos. Um, I'm currently in the middle. My husband and I are building our own family logo. I know that sounds weird. We're both engineers, so we're going to use it on our website. I crochet, so all of my crochet will be uh, using my our logo. So 99designs if you want to do like logos. So it's called 99 because I think you can... It like the base pays $99. So you get a bunch of different like idea, like pitches, essentially... And then the designers that you choose will refine it even more and more. And then you can pick the design that works best for you. So I'll put the links. But yeah, those are my two picks. Thanks. They sound really interesting. Yeah. Mine is more technical. My pick is going to be uh, hygiene.io. And I'll share a link as well. They are, it's a code generator, but it's mostly for JavaScript. I'll go ahead and put that out there if you're wanting to use it for Ruby or Rails. Not quite yet. But hygiene.io is a great code generator. And I'm trying very hard to work this into my team. I've used this before on my Greenfield apps. And it's really amazing to type in a command into your terminal, hit enter, and all of the code that you need for a component is generated, or at least the, mm. this, the scaffolding or boilerplate for it is. So if you're doing React, you have your JSX or TX file, you have your testing file, maybe you have a styles file, maybe you have a subcomponent, you know, all those things would be generated for you depending on how you wrote the script. So that's nice. my plug for Hygen. Does it integrate with VS Code or anything like that? It's com- completely run through the command line, but um, ah, okay. uh, it, it produces .esj files, I want to say, but they do have formatting for VS Code. Nice. That looks really cool. Okay. Well, that's great. Thanks everyone for sharing your picks. They all sound really great. And Dean, I think... We've run out of time to ask any more questions. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish we could continue talking with you. Daisy, do you have anything else before we head out for the day? No, I'll go ahead and just say goodbye, though. Uh, again, my name is Daisy Nolan. You can follow me on Twitter at Daisy underscore Nolan. Uh, my GitHub and LinkedIn is also Daisy Nolan. I'm kind of boring. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so if you ever have any questions, please reach out. For me, if you want to find me on Twitter... You can do at lbrownin86. And my GitHub, if if you're interested, is just Lindsay Browning. I'll share a link at the end of the podcast. Where can people find you, Dean? They can find me at twitter.com slash webdevdean. That's D-E-E-N. I know, spelled a little weird. Great. And if you could share a link. Yes. That's perfect. Thank you very much. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Bye, all. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.